Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another official Colts podcast. This is the alumni version, and I am tickled because we're going to talk to somebody who's in a lot of minds and a lot of hearts of Colts fans for a lot of years, and I'm talking about the big fella. Tarek Glenn joins us. T, I'm so glad you're taking the time to say hi. It's been too long. How are things today? Man, things are great. Um, When uh, you and Bill Brooks called the other day to ask me to do this uh, interview, I was really excited, not just to be able to address Colts fans, but just to talk to you all, man. I mean, you guys are family. Um, Miss being around the uh, complex and the studio and, and look forward to this interview. Oh, it was great. And we had, I had a chance to see you down at the, uh, the hall of fame inductions, Edger and James and, and Peyton Manning. If we had a chance to catch up there, we'll get into those two and their induction and whatnot. But, but you Tarek, uh, at the top of your game, winning a super bowl, uh, with the Colts. And, and, and again, at the top of your game, a decade in, and you walked away from that. Does there still that bug, even to this day, is there still that bug that says, boy, I missed something about the locker room, the grass, the field, the fans, anything like that still, you know, kind of roll around in your mind? Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, all of us who played, you know, I think um, especially for the Colts during that time, man, it was just a special time. Um, there was just, um, you know, we won a lot of games. Um, we played with a lot of special people. And um, I think we just did something special in the city of Indianapolis. And so um, there's just a ton that I miss about that experience. And um, and during the time, you know, I think there was so much success and um, so much going on. I think you you don't even really um, you take advantage or you take for granted, you know, um, the, of the moment. And, and I think now that I'm, um, you know, so many years removed, I do miss that. I miss the locker room. I miss the, uh, the coaches, the players, um, just the whole environment. And so, um, but yeah, those are special memories and you'll know, never forget. Them. Yeah. But you walked off as a champion with your ring, with the trophy, waving to the fans, say sayonara. I'll see you later. I did my work <laughs> and now I'm done. That's what I love about you, Tar Glenn. And I'm going to let Bill Brooks get in here, but first I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the impact that the great Howard Mudd had on you who passed away in the last year and I know that was such a tight-knit group you guys were one of the best NFL offensive lines uh, running through the decade of excellence what did Howard teach you on the field and what did Howard teach you about life off the field Tarek yeah um, Howard is just a special individual to me um, I think for those of, uh, of you who were um, in the Colts complex during the time that me and Howard worked together, you could tell that there was just this love-hate relationship, you know, um, you know, but I think that people who love each other, um, they love hard, you know, and we fought a lot. We argued a lot, but he made me better. Um, he he was the first individual who believed in me, um, came to um, Oakland, California, flew out to Oakland, California in 1998 when they first got hired. And he looked at me in my living room and said, you're going to be our left tackle. We're going to um, draft Peyton Manning. And, uh, you know, from for years to come, you know, I'm trusting that you're going to protect them. And so um, from that point forward, you know, I think to have a coach that believes in you and then um, then then along the way does everything mentally, physically to prepare you for the role um, is special. And I think that um, just to, to see the kind of success that our offensive line had during those years, you know, just kind of um, really speaks for you know, just the quality of coach that he was. 
Now, Tarek, you talked about the bond in the locker room, and I've always felt that the offensive line has one of the strongest bonds amongst the different positions on the football team. What made you guys so close in that locker room? Yeah, I mean, I think um, back when I came in in 97 and you were there, Bill, um, the shift from, you know, the era before um, when I first got there to the Polian era um, really made our locker room really young, really quick. And um, and so I was the veteran at, at year two, year three. And um, and I just know when I first got to Indianapolis, you know, no knock against any of the offensive linemen that were there before me, but it was just not a welcoming environment. You know, I, just as a whole, the team wasn't And And I just knew um, that me, Adam Meadows, Jeff Saturday, you know, we just were like, man, we want to be a tight knit group. And Howard, like, really encouraged that. You know, um, when he he facilitated a lot of those things earlier on, whether it was dinners at his house, we all learned to play golf together. We all learned to ride motorcycles together. You know, we went to the opera together. I mean, we just did crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Just like the the things that we did during that time just to create camaraderie and just to, to establish a culture of, of bond in that office line room was intentional initially. And then after years, to, uh, like the first couple of years of him doing that, he just kind of like, kind of removed himself and he just let Jeff and I just really run with it. And so um, that really is how it all started. And um, but but at the same time, you know, I I really accredit Bill Polian for just really um, drafting um, quality dudes, man. I mean, every guy who went through that um, offensive line room were just great dudes. And um, it was just fun to work, work, work with them, play with them, and um, and they were just good players. Now you talked, you brought the word quality. Now we know of Coach Dungey and how good of a man he is. But tell us a little bit, how was he as a coach playing for him as an office lineman for Tony Dungey as a coach? No, nah, yeah, Tony was a perfect fit to the kind of uh, players that Bill Polian drafted. I mean, we were just unorthodox in the NFL um, when it comes to just the the just the blue collar mentality. I think that we had as a team, there weren't, weren't many prima donnas. You know, even you know some of our high profile players were just pretty low key. You know, it really wasn't about you know, the the stardom or the, you know, just being famous. It was just really about working hard and trying to win games and trying to win a championship. And so when Tony came, that really meshed well with, you know, his philosophy in terms of just like what it takes to be a championship team. And, and I think that all of us who played for him remember like, you know, just the, the the really simple philosophies that he would ingrain and he just like, wait, we're going to do it the Colts way, the championship way. And if we follow these like simple steps, it's going to lead to a championship. And, and, and I think um, initially it was hard to believe that it could be that simple, but um, because he's very vanilla in a lot of what he does in terms of just <laughs> like, you know, his, the type of defense that he ran to, you know, the way he coached wasn't really a lot of emotion and a lot of, you know, drama. It was very just really straightforward, even kill. But I think, 
what that did um, over time was just really instilled a confidence that we, as long as we just stuck to our way throughout, you know, a game or throughout a season that it would eventually lead to a championship. For sure. We're talking to Tarek Glenn, Super Bowl champion, pro bowler, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I want to talk to you about, and it's been a few years I've been waiting to ask about this, is the I, and I was here and Bill was here and, and, and we saw this. Now, the leadership in that locker room started with 18, obviously. He, uh, you know, Peyton would walk and people would follow. But there was other leaders, including yourself and Jeff Saturday in that. Now, your relationship with Peyton, here's what I like about it. We saw that on a national level on a Monday night football game against the St. Louis Rams where there was a little disagreement between the centerman and the quarterback about running the football compared to pass and play calling. Well, if you fast forward a little bit, number 78, I like to call him the judge. The judge comes in and says, sit down. Go sit down to the quarterback that nobody talks to like that. Your relationship with Peyton Manning, it was on on air for everyone to see. But that's what you have to do, and that's the role that you played. Could you talk about that a little bit? Well, I mean, I think that, you know, you have to put it into context. For one, like, you know, um, Peyton Manning got drafted in 1998, and if I can remember correctly, that that – that was filmed in 2001. And so, you know, Peyton was really establishing his role as a leader on the team in those beginning years. Uh, we were all young together. And so, um, you know, obviously, you know, a 10-year veteran Peyton Manning was different than, you know, a four-year veteran Peyton Manning. And so he was learning how to lead. He was learning you know, how to be a superstar in the NFL and, um, you know, and really coming into who he became as a Hall of Famer. And so, like, on our team, we were just all learning just like, man, how to play together, how to win. And I think when you're really competitive, there's always going to be disagreements. Um, I think, you know, in today's age, you probably see more of that happening just with social media. And they happen to capture just that one disagreement between he and I or him and the offensive line. But there were a ton of those, you know, and I think that um, if there's not that those type of heated conversations, then you're not winning games. You know what I'm saying? Sure. It's like, you know, that's what it takes to win. It takes, you know, just like confrontation, challenging each other, getting in each other's face, holding each other accountable. And I think that that's what he did. That's what we did. And um, and I think he was lucky to really be able to have players on the team that could really, you know, that didn't feel threatened to, to really hold him accountable as well as we didn't feel threatened if he held us accountable. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I, 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 that's how I really view that. And and we know that uh, I had a, I had a chance to meet, I've met your son more than a few times, your family obviously more than a few times, but it's been a few years. And then, like I said, I saw you and your son down at the Hall of Fame uh, for Peyton and Edgerin. When you're watching a game these days with your son, your family, whatever, are you watching it differently or are you just a fan right now? Um, yeah. So he and I are like he and my boys in particular love the Colts. We're avid Colts fans. But yeah, man, we just, you know, we're just watching it, you know, really as fans, because I mean, it's just like, you know, when you play for a team, no matter where you're located, it's hard to root against that, you know, it's, and especially when, you know, you, you know, hiring Frank Wright is almost kind of like, you know, you know, kept it in the family. And so, you know, seeing guys like Frank Wright, you know, was there when I was there, it just makes me feel like, man, it's just an extension of what we, 
what we uh, did, you know, in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Tarek, now you, you talked about leadership earlier. You talked about how, you, you know, you were a leader and Jeff Saturday and of course Peyton was a leader. And you've always been a leader in the community as well. And I know early on in your playing career, you and your wife, Maya, founded Dream Alive. Can you tell us more about Dream Alive and, and how it is uh, affecting young people in their development as they go along in life? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think one of the benefits that I had, you know, and, you know, and not to put Bill Brooks on, on the spot, but, you know, just having, you know, uh, cult greats like Bill and others who just really showed a lot of us young professionals how to be professional athletes, you know, um, how to like maximize, you know, the, uh, the, the the platform that we have as professional athletes. And, and so when I started, my and I started Dream Alive, um, you know, we, we brought, you know, really, you know, you know, folks like, you know, Lacey Johnson, Bill Brooks, um, you know, uh, Dan Bogan, who was like, you know, working in NCAA, just really identified leaders in the community to really help us live out a dream of just impacting inner city youth through mentoring. And um, and 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 the beginning of that, you know, just really gave us a vision for what Dream Alive continues to do. And that's just really, you know, really raising up future leaders in the community. And um, and we're doing it through teaching young people how to serve. So a lot of our young people who come from the inner city are like really serving their communities through our organization. But I think the, the second most important thing that we do in our mentoring is really um, experiential learning, um, really um, taking field trips, showing, you know, our young people what it looks like to be a professional in the community out, you know, um, whether that's taking them to law firms, taking them to government officials, the medical industries, different local businesses that affect their communities. Um, we've been doing that for years. And, um, and, and because of that, you know, a lot of our students have gone on to college, graduated and are now productive citizens, you know, in the city of Indianapolis. And that was the whole goal is to show um, our young people that there are tons of ways to really be productive uh, citizens outside of just being a professional athlete. Yeah, and we've definitely seen that from you. Bill, I, I couldn't agree more. The stuff that Dream Alive did, even now out into the West Coast that you've brought, you know, your initiative as well as here. I mean, that's why this guy was one of the best in the community. And I'm, we're talking to Tarek Glenn, um, the great Tarek Glenn, as we like to call him. And I, I can't, uh, we're going to get into Edron and Peyton and, and, and your career together, but but Jim Ursay, the Colts owner, if you could touch on some of the stuff that he's meant to you. And, and if you want to, if you want to, you can talk about <laughs> that, that, that meeting that you had in Mr. Ursay's office after winning the Super Bowl, where he was possibly trying to convince you not to retire. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first like meeting that just really stands out about my relationship with Jim was when I first came to the Colts, you know, because – I always think, you know, about, you know, the Colts' success and just remember that, like, man, my rookie year was almost his rookie year as, a, like, an owner. And um, and him bringing myself, Marshall Falk, and uh, Peyton into his office in year two and was just like, man, I'm building this organization around you guys. And, uh, again, like, very similar to Howard Mudd, like, you know, when someone in authority – like entrust you with something and says like I'm counting on you 
that gives you confidence that you may not have even had. I don't, I don't really, I mean, even though I was a first round draft pick, I really didn't think of myself, you know, as like a pillar on a, on an NFL team. I mean, I grew up watching like Joe Montana, Ronnie Lott, you know, like those guys were like really out of the stratosphere to me. And I, I would have never considered myself as such. And not that I'm putting myself in their category, but just in terms of just, you know, being a leader of an NFL team or being a pillar, you know, for the owner to say something like that to like a guy who's coming into their second year was really humbling. And so therefore. But it's also a lot know, of responsibility too, though. You're a young guy, exactly. still, you know? Exactly. And then, but then watching, you know, him not just putting that responsibility on us, but watching him also do his part, you know, and and bringing in, you know, like a GM that was quality, a coach that was quality, you know, improving the facilities, you know, just making sure that it wasn't just an expectation without giving us the resources to live into that expectation. And I think Jim Ursay has humbly done that, you know, throughout, you know, his tenure and, you know, through all the ups and the downs, you know, I think he has really epitomized what it means to just really be, you know, a quality owner in the NFL. And um, I don't know many people who have gone through that building who haven't loved playing for or working for him. And so, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I love Jim Ursay. I love what he's done with the Indianapolis Colts. I, I think that he's been a strong pillar in the Indianapolis community and Indianapolis is lucky to have. Him. Yeah. No talk. You talk about playing for a great owner and Jim Ursay is a great owner. Great to play for, great to work for as well. Now you've also played with some great players, Peyton Manning, uh, Edwin James, Marshall Falk. Tell us how is it playing with guys like that? How is how demanding is it when you're out there in practice and on the football field playing with guys of that caliber? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're competitive and you want to win and you want to be great, I mean, it's actually fun to play with them. I mean, you know, you know, playing with Edge and Peyton and, and, you know, like in Marvin and and being a part of watching them going to the Hall of Fame, you know, I think as a player, I mean, it was just evident. It was obvious. I mean, and, and especially like as I, you know, later on in my career started to go to the Pro Bowl and just heard my peers who were also great at what they did um, on other respective teams talk about our, te- our, our my teammates in that way. It was very evident that, man, you know, you know, I'm around greatness. I'm playing with greatness. But, you know, it was it was really fun playing with them because, you know, it just it made my job easier. I, I remember when I was a rookie and I, it was my first time ever playing offensive guard. I played guard my first year. I remember that. And um, Marshall, would, I remember like running out on screens and I like really didn't know what I was doing. But I would just fall into blocks, and and I and I and and, and 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 you know in my mind I'm thinking, man, I'm balling. <laughs> but then I, what I'm realizing is is that this dude is just setting me up, you know, for success. You know what I'm trying to yes. say? And uh-huh. and that's really what playing with great specialty, you know, players, you know, it does. It's like you know, it just makes everyone's job easier because. Yes. 
you know, they're special, you know, and they know how to make other people around them good. And so I would say the same thing about Peyton. It's like, man, what I love about him is that, you know, you know where he's going to be at all times. And so it's easy to block for somebody like that. And, um, you know, Edge, you know, Edge was always, you know, working with the offensive line to, you know, to really just make us great as a team. We were always trying to find ways to get us into the right play so we can get positive yards. And so, um, so like just like, you know, like playing with guys who weren't just OK with just collecting the paycheck on Mondays, but really wanted to be successful and be great. Man, it was easy and it was fun. And 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 what the funnest part about it was I'll never forget. I, I won't mention the individual's name. But we're playing against the Titans. And I just remember like them getting to a point where they were just like, man. Can y'all please stop scoring touchdowns? Like, you know, <laughs> no miles, you know, no our, coach is, our, our coach is about to give us the business, you know, and it's just like I was blocking on this play and I would just like call. I was like, man, touchdown. I mean, like we, we, we were just at that place and, and and it was just like a video game, man. And it was just like, man, it was just really fun to be a part of it. Well, now you, you talk about the great players now. You talk about it was easy, but was it any – was it demanding as well? I mean, playing with those great players, they expect a lot out of each of the other teammates to carry their load. Was it demanding playing with those individuals? I mean, I don't even know, like, if that was, like, I would even use that word because I just think that we were just in this routine of, like, expectation. Like, the expectation was a given. Like, man, we expected to be in the playoffs we expected to dominate defenses like we expected to put up points and so I think um you know one of the things that helped us with that really you know and I would credit Jim Mora Tom Moore Howard Mudd they were just like some very hard coaches to play for and in those early years they really taught us work ethic and and taught us about doing the fundamentals the right way and 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 to the point to where by the time tony got there tony was a lot more lax he's about more about speed and efficiency but like the culture there when he got there was already about doing things right doing things the right way you know um and and tom was still there and power was still there so they they kept that type of like kind of fire and brimstone way of doing things like, you know, you're going to get lip service <laughs> if you don't do it the right way. You know what I'm saying? And, was, and that was all. Yeah, there was a standard. Yes. And I think because we had those type of coaches who infused that into our team culture, it took the pressure off of a guy like Peyton or Edge or Marv to really even have to be that. And then I feel like what it did was, and, and I think this is what led to us winning a Super Bowl, a part of it at least, was it, it it really helped us find our role on how did, what did leadership look like for a player if our coaches were going to make sure that they did that part, you know, and, and I think that that was like, we had to learn how to push against the coaches at some point to say, okay, I know y'all want to do it this way, but we, you know, we think that this may be a better way to get things done. And so, like, I think that there's always, like, Howard used to always say, all right, I'm going to coach you hard, but at some point you got to play better than I can coach you. And, like, you know, um, and I think that that was, like, very wise 
coaching because it's like at some point, you know, you know, doing it by the book always doesn't work. You know, you're going to have to be able to make adjustments because it's not going to always, you know, present itself the way you anticipate it. And so like how as a player, you're going to make those adjustments when necessary. And so, you know, Peyton was really good at that. You know, um, and and I think our preparation, um, our team just embraced that. Like, you know, you know, we're gonna watch film. We're gonna like prepare very well. Um, maybe you know, some would call that demanding, but I just think that that was just how we were brought up. So I didn't even know any other way. I didn't even know that to be demanding because. Peyton and I learned that together. You know, Jeff was a part of the early years. So he, we learned that together. So I don't even, now I, I, I can see younger guys coming in having a different experience because we already at that point knew the offense very well. So going into training camp wasn't demanding because we were just repeating what we had been doing for years. But for those younger guys that were learning something totally new, expected to be in places and, you know, do things a certain way, it probably was demanding because um, for us, it was, you know, just a repeat, you know, but for them, it was something new. I like to go behind the curtain the best we can. We're talking to Tarek Glenn, and we've talked to Jeff Saturday recently, and especially around the passing of Howard Mudd. And that story from Miami, the Super Bowl, the zone blocking compared to one-on-one against the Chicago Bears defense, where Jeff Saturday went into Howard's office and said, hey, we should do things differently right there. Um, do you remember that that being a couple of days before the Super Bowl kickoff against the Bears, ultimately won by the Colts? But do you remember that day and saying, hey, somebody's got to talk to Howard? Absolutely. I mean, uh, so like I said, man, everybody just has a different role on a team. So, like, I was always the guy who – would challenge the status quo. But if I challenged it, like, you know, officially, things wouldn't always get done. And so I think one of the things, one of the ways in which we learned things would work is that, man, like Jeff and I would always talk about, you know, whether it was on our way to work or just like, you know, we were roommates. We would just talk about like, man, Jeff, you need to talk to the team about this, or you need to talk to Howard about this. Or he would come to me and say, man, I'm thinking about talking to the, to the team about this. You know, how does this sound? So, like, he and I, you know, we just really had – I mean, he just is, like, has a gift of being just the outspoken in, in front of the team leader versus, you know, for me, like, you know, I didn't always have that same appeal and I just understood my role of just like behind the scenes, you know, I was just a part of the behind the scenes leadership committee. And so I remember when that, when we were in in Miami, I had an issue with that blocking scheme because we actually was doing that same blocking scheme against Pittsburgh the year before. And it just fell apart. You know, um, and and I just that was like I was very adamant about not doing it, you know, um, but I wasn't getting the response that I needed to get from Howard. And so, you know, we all like talked to like together as an office line. And I really didn't care about how other people felt. I was just like, Jeff, you need to talk, talk to, you know, Howard about this because this is not going to work, man. 
you know, um, and, and, you know, Jeff is that guy, you know, he was able to like really um, appeal to the coaches in that way. And we were able to change things up and it, and it, it was for the better because, you know, I think, you know, uh, you know, people game planned us and they knew they, they kind of, we had some tendencies that they wanted to exploit. And I think that us switching up just really attributed to us, you know, being able to uh, win that game. And it worked too, because I talked to Howard Mudd about six months before he passed away. And we talked about that incident. We talked about the Super Bowl, And he just said, those guys made me a better coach. Those guys said, we can do this. We know our bodies. We know what our physical, uh, you know, attributes are and our smarts upstairs. This is the way to go. And he said, after all of them, I looked at all the guys and I I looked them all looking at me and they're all there dead faced, you know, especially after Jeff's talked to him. And he said, I got to do what these guys want because they're the horses. They're carrying the water. And sure enough, you made him look like, you know, a Super Bowl winning assistant coach. So it's just always a great story that it comes back to you guys coaching Howard and Howard coaching you. Well, that's what I, I guess I, I mentioned, you know, it's really like putting it back on the coach. I mean, I, I mean, I, that my kids do that to me all the time as a parent. Like you have this like wise quote, you know, you got to be better than I coach you. But then, you know, when, you know, the people that you're coaching throws that back into your face, you have to really trust, you know, the process, you know, you have to trust that, you know, they'll, they'll carry it out. And I think that that's what I, you know, really give him a lot of credit for is that, you know, he was able to trust us, you know, I mean, you know, we're his eyes and ears. I mean, you know, he does a lot of the game planning and a lot of the, uh, you know, the work prep that the lead up to a game, but when we're out there and we're experiencing it, he can only go off of what we're telling him. And he's got to trust what we're telling him. And and I just think that we had finally got to that point where there was that, you know, balance between us trusting what he was telling us, but at the same time, him like being able to make the adjustments based off of what we're, we were experiencing. For sure. Now, that's a great player, a dominant player. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on. But Bill, Tarek is definitely one of those guys that you say he's a better guy off the field than he was on the field, and he dominated on Sundays. So. By far. He's always been one of those individuals. I mean. And I had the utmost respect for Tarek for what he stood for and what he did in the community and who he was as a man and as a father and as a husband. Absolutely. Family man at heart. And uh, that's going to lead me to my final note before we let you go. There's still a mystery out there that I kind of want to get to the bottom of. We used to go to training camp down in Anderson, uh, or excuse me, out in uh, Terre Haute, and um, – my my uh, SUV was stolen one <laughs> one training camp and saran wrapped and put on the 50 yard line and my golf cart was stolen and put on a pond you know a raft in the middle of the pond and and I kind of had a feeling who it was and it was always well go ask 18 and go ask the offensive lineman because that's where you'll find the answers but Tarek before closing I know you weren't behind any of that on your old buddy Jeff Gorman and his <laughs> golf cart and his stolen SUV were you? You know, plead the fifth, uh, plead the fifth, they, Tarek. They, this is this is a saying that they say in in, in my neighborhood is that you know um, snitches get stitches. So like you know, but all I get to say is this: I, what I can guarantee you is this, Jeffrey Gorman. Tarek Glenn goes to bed at ten thirty, and it, it's always been that way for me. So I can guarantee that I was not a part of it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to take that as a as a as a. I, I firmly I take that because uh, yeah, my, I got hustled at around 11 p.m. the night before for car keys and whatnot. But it was the maestro being the maestro, the conductor of the orchestra, number 18, Peyton Manning, uh, doing it to me. Hey, Tarek, had so much fun catching up with you. I love the stories behind the scenes. We got so much more to talk about. We're going to welcome you in the Indianapolis, hopefully in the near future, to see a game and whatnot, and wave to the fans again. And I just appreciate you taking the time and walking down memory lane with us because Colts fans, you knew how solid this man was on and off the field, but you knew what you got on Sundays out of number 78, you know, protecting the blind side of a Hall of Fame quarterback. And that's the kind of man he is on and off the field. I love talking to you, and I hope we can do it again soon, Tarek. Man, this was fun, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. That's thanks, Tarek. Tarek Glenn. This is the Colts' official podcast, the Alumni Edition. Special thanks to Tarek Glenn, Bill Brooks. I'm Jeffrey Gorman. We will speak to you guys down the road.